Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is the perfect story? We may never know, but we'll sure as hell keep trying. In this special episode of The Midnight Myth, we'll pit the characters of your favorite adult animated sitcoms, BoJack Horseman and Rick and Morty, against each other in battles of nihilism, sincerity, and existential hope. It's the Boomerangarang. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. Welcome back to the Midnight Myth, everybody's favorite podcast about all things that we could ever talk about, intersecting different ideas, different places, different people. Oh man, I am so excited to be here as Multiverses, normal. Multiverses, worlds where animals and people talk to each other and live side by side. We're mashing up those universes today. It's the Boomerangarang. Who's excited? I'm excited. So season five of BoJack Horseman just ended, and Laurel and I came up with a great idea, which is to pit BoJack Horseman characters versus Rick and Morty characters in a Boomerangarang battle of the wits in bizarre scenarios. If you're not familiar with the Boomerangarang, this is, of course, our all-game episode. We have several of these. Check out our website, www.midnightmyth.com, to see a list of all our Boomerangarangs. What we do is we take our favorite characters or we take uh, you know, characters from certain thematic franchises or else, and we pit them against each other and try to argue which one would be better in certain really random scenarios that we've written for each other. So it's a lot of fun. We get to imagine our favorite characters in situations they would never be in. And in this case, we're taking two franchises, Rick and Morty and BoJack Horseman, and putting them together, which is an exciting thing for us. They're two of our favorite shows that are on television right now or on television currently Um, And they have a lot of similar themes with nihilism and existentialism uh, being mixed up in the soup of what they're about, but at their heart are very different shows. So we're excited to throw them together and see what amazing things we can find when their characters interact. And here's the best part about this whole boomerangarang. You guys, our dear and most favorite listeners, get to determine who made the better argument by voting on Twitter. Yeah. So follow us on Twitter if you're not already. Cast your votes for who made the better argument. We want to hear from you. Um, how the structure of this particular boomerangarang is going to work. We are sitting and we literally have three hats on the table. So many hats. One hat has a BoJack Horseman character to be drawn at random. Another hat has a Rick and Morty character to be drawn at random. 
Laurel will be drawing a Rick and Morty character first. I will be drawing a Bojack Horseman character first, and we will alternate each round. And then we will randomly pick the scenario to which we have to argue which character would do better in that scenario. And the idea is to A, have fun, B, be weird, C, maybe learn something about characters and ourselves by virtue of the arguments that we made. Yeah. If you've listened to a boomerang orang before, we all know that I am better at it than Laurel and I will naturally win because I will say whatever I have to say to win the boomerangerang. I think uh, what we've actually learned from the boomerangerang is that Derek is vicious and that Laurel is very generous in her arguments, but we also know that you will come to my aid on Twitter when voting. So after the boomerangerang airs, we're going to have some polls up for the next week or so. Uh, so check us out on Twitter at The Midnight Myth. You can also follow us on Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast or on Facebook if you want to get the scoop of what's happening here at the Midnight Myth. Again, check out our website, www.midnightmyth.com for more blog content and past episodes. And if you haven't yet, make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or a review if you like the podcast. It really helps us get the word out to a bigger audience. And we are going to spoil the fuck out of all Rick and Morty and all BoJack Horseman. All five seasons of BoJack and all three seasons of Rick and Morty are on the table. So please go and watch those before you listen to the Boomerangarang. Um, And also, they are the two best shows not named Game of Thrones or Handmaid's Tales. Yeah, pretty much. So, all right. Let us, without further ado, draw. I'm getting my BoJack character. I'm taking my Rick and Morty character. And let's see who we have. So I have Todd. I have Morty. All right. Oh my God. Two Todd sidekicks? Morty. This is great. Wow. This is fan-freaking-tastic. This is perfect. Would you like to pick the first scenario here? I would love to. I'm All pulling right. from the third hat. So the third hat, which has the scenario. Now, we do not know each other's scenarios. We chose them both. And what do we have? Becoming an Olympic javelin thrower. Oh, man. Would you like to take the first argument? I would. Um, This is a really interesting one because becoming an Olympic javelin thrower doesn't seem in the wheelhouse of Todd or Morty on first glance. Um, I can already see kind of it happening to Todd happenstantially, uh, if that's a word, as a matter of happenstance, because a lot of things happen to Todd as a matter of happenstance. Um, But Morty is even though he's similar to Todd in some ways and his like lower than average street smarts and intelligence, but still full of heart, I think is a little more active in what happens to him. He has objectives. He loves Jessica. He loves to go on adventures. He wants to keep his family together at all costs. He does have a moral compass. And if Morty set his mind to becoming an Olympic javelin thrower, I think he would work really hard at it. And I think it would be very challenging for him but I don't, I don't believe it would get him down. I think Morty would put everything he has into becoming an athlete, into being able to throw that javelin as far as possible. And the advantage that Morty has is that he's not the only Morty, right? He is, he is just one Morty of infinite Mortys. And if our Morty that we know can't throw a javelin that far? Another Morty in the Citadel, maybe. Or another Morty in another multiverse has been working on this longer than our Morty has. So we have to expand our worldview, expand our Morty view to understand that 
there's one out there who has maybe a fantastic arm, like our Morty experienced in the episode where they went to the um, Mad Max universe and he got that special arm that had a mind of its own. There is a version of Morty out there that can throw a javelin further than anybody, can throw it through every dimension of time and space. And I think Morty is, uh, is going to kick ass in the Olympics. I mean, great argument. I really appreciated that in an infinite amount of universes with an infinite amount of timelines, there is a Morty that is an Olympic javelin thrower. I would just like to point out, I don't think he made a really good argument that the Morty of Rick and Morty, the show would be that one. Anyway, sorry, just had to do a quick rebuttal. Yeah, okay. I have Todd. And so on the onset, Todd seems like a really bad choice for this particular scenario. Right. However, he's actually the better of the two. And here's the reason. Todd represents many things on the show, but one of them is privilege. What do I mean by that? Todd falls into luck without trying. Yeah. Because he's a white man. Mm-hmm. And as a white man, people can keep giving him opportunities, whether that's a rock opera, whether that's the ability to uh, be the senior advertising executive for a website, just because he happens to be in a place at a time. And they're like, oh, here, here's a white guy. He can do this. Right. Even though he's completely inept and can't do anything well at all, he's constantly given opportunities by virtue of his privilege, whether that's I can sleep on the couch of a celebrity and leverage that into other opportunities, even though I'm not looking for other opportunities. So because of this, I can see a BoJack Horseman episode in which Todd gets mistaken for a javelin thrower, ends up on the Olympic javelin team, having never thrown a javelin, goes out there and gets on some wacky adventure where he's really just trying to avoid having sex because that's the worst thing in the world to him. Because we all know, as reports have said, that the Olympians, when they are at the games, everyone's just banging each other crazily. And Todd is a romantic asexual. And he's totally asexual and can be completely freaked out by this. And he's just going to grab that javelin in a moment to try to avoid having sex with other Olympians throw it and his aim will be as true as it can be. He won't win the gold medal, but he will win the bronze medal, which is going to make him more desirable. And there's going to be more people that are trying to have sex with him. And it's going to make him even more uncomfortable until he eventually just says F it and goes and finds a couch to sleep on. I, so I honestly think you won that argument and that's the luck of the draw because Todd does stumble into, into luck and stumbles into good fortune. The only thing that I will say about Morty is that Todd, of course, is, is a drifter. Todd drifts through his life and doesn't have a whole lot of ambition. And you imagine Morty having a little more ambition. So when you think about uh, the Olympic athletes, when you think about the gymnastics team or you think about the Olympic swimmers, the number one thing that comes to your mind is grit and hard work, right? And Morty has those. Morty has that more than Todd. Maybe not, you know, in abundance, but I think more than Todd. That's the only thing that I'll offer there. Okay. But I think great, great, great interesting great that we that we drew them at the same time because they're so similar. It's great how these always play out. So now we're going to switch. I'm going to grab a Rick and Morty character. You're going to grab grab a BoJack BoJack character. character. And who do you have for your character? I have Hollyhock. Oh, great. I have Summer. Last name, last name, last name, last name. So you have BoJack's long lost sister. 
I have uh, Rick Sanchez's uh, um, granddaughter. Wow. Let me pick the scenario. These are two really interesting characters yeah. to square off. Yeah. Let's see what the hat has to say. So working with the elderly and infirmed for free three weekends a month. Oh, my God. So you made this scenario. I did. I made yeah. that, this one and the last one. Yeah, you did. Wow. Yeah. All right. So you went first last time. Do you mind if I take the reins here? Go for it. So Summer is a character who is constantly searching for a better version of herself. She has all of the pressures of being a teenage girl who wants to both be very much a feminine, but she also is incredibly intelligent like her mother and grandfather. Are you saying those are mutually exclusive? No, no, no. I'm kidding. (laughs) But I'm just saying they add to a lot of pressure. Yeah. Right? And so she's constantly trying to impress others while at the same time trying to figure out who she is. This is what makes her such a compelling and interesting character because often the societal pressures of Summer are in direct contradiction to who she really wants to be. Sure. Right? And that conflict pulls at her. And we see her sometimes stumbling a little too far in one direction and a little too far in another. However, she is true. And what I mean by that is a deeper sense of truth, that she is a person who push comes to shove in an apocalyptic Mad Maxian world will be able to rise to the occasion and do the right thing. She's a person that has tremendous grit and tremendous character and even lives under the shadow of her younger brother. So how does this then translate to the scenario that we have here? She's very kind and very generous, despite the fact that she has a grandfather that says, don't be it, that they have a, um, you know, a mother and father who are constantly at each other's throats and a little brother who is a total nihilist who says nothing means anything, come watch TV. In the face of all of this, she is the character that is going to seek out human empathy as a way to figure out herself, meaning she's going to need to understand her place by trying to do something good for others. She's the character of all of Rick and Morty that is most likely to volunteer her time to the elderly and to the infirmed, and she will give up three weekends a month And plus marks if there's a really cute boy who's also doing it that she wants to get with. Yeah. I thought that was, that was a great argument. It made me think too about the episode where Summer uh, gets gigantified and then turned inside out. And what she really seeks is validation from her mother. Uh, It also makes me think of, uh, of the episode where the Cromulons come and all she's looking for is validation from her parents so that she can thrive in this universe um, so I think that's an interesting argument that you've put forth that it was long winded. So thanks for going with me there. But the nice thing about drawing these two characters again, who seem correlated in some ways, they're a similar age. Uh, they are adolescent young women who are dealing with a lot of the same pressures, um, to be liked in their high school environment, to be, uh, loved by their parents or their, uh, you know, adult figures, Uh, but who also are trying to reach for the stars in their own careers and education. Um, For Hollyhock, I think when we look at who's going to work with the elderly and infirm for free three weekends a month, who's going to give up that time and offer that, 
we do have to look at Hollyhock's past experience with a similar thing. When she went to spend time with Bojack when she thought that he was her long-lost father, Hollyhock came into very close quarters with Bojack's mother, her supposed grandmother. And this was a traumatic experience for Hollyhock. Although she is a character who's a young horse, a teenage horse, with a tremendous amount of human empathy and care and love and just a well of, of good love inside her that she is willing to give, she and Beatrice Horseman were not compatible in that environment. And it was a difficult time for Hollyhock because as someone who is dealing with the pressures of having to be, uh, having to look a certain way to be considered beautiful, having to uh, endure constant ridicule at being just slightly overweight. Uh, Beatrice, of course, was slipping her weight loss medication, which is something that deeply, deeply traumatized our dear Hollyhock and, and sent her going back to her eight dads. However, when we look at that experience and we look at especially season five when Hollyhock comes back to spend some time with her brother, how she has reacted to it, She's a remarkably well-adjusted young woman, right? She has, she still carries this trauma with her. She still carries this pain of the fact that she was abused in this way by, uh, by a family member. But she is so self-aware. She's so aware of it. She's so able to say, I did this because I was acting out of my own trauma. And there's something about that level of maturity and that level of self-awareness uh, that leads me to think that Hollyhock will devote herself to greater good causes in the future. As someone who's trying to thrive in college, I think she's going to be very, very inclined to do community service. And I think something that she will turn her mind to is saying, there are other men and women out there who are going through the same pain that Beatrice Horseman was going through, and I may be able to help them through it. And I've been through the worst of it, so what can they do to me now? So, uh, wow. So that was not typical boomerangarang silly. That was incredibly heavy and incredibly oh, sorry. <laughs> real. Um, and I guess and we a got, little long winded too, but that, that's all right. Let's, uh, we will let, we will let the, it's a great the, scenario. We'll let the audience decide yeah. which one would be better. I honestly think both characters, these are the two best characters for that scenario. Not the best for funny scenarios, but the best for yeah, that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Would have been funnier imagining Rick doing that, you know? Oh my God. All right, so my turn for a Bojack character. I'll take a Rick and Morty. Your turn for a Rick and Morty character. I accidentally grabbed two, so let me put one back. I got my favorite Rick and Morty character. Who'd you get? Death Smith. Oh, nice. I got Sarah Lynn from Bojack. Wow. So Beth versus Sarah Lynn. Oh my God. Pick the scenario. So Sarah Lynn, uh, the... The little girl in Bojack's from Horsin' Around, from Horsin' Around, who, who grows up to be a pop star and a drug addict and, and overdoses, overdoses tragically and in the show. Yeah. yeah, it's very sad. Singing back up to Rick Astley. Oh wow! As in, okay. never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you. So I, I, I I'm feeling pretty confident here. So go ahead. I think you should feel pretty confident because Sarah Lynn kind of is a pop star, but I want to. I want to go a little deeper than who's going to be able to get on stage. I want to go deeper to what that song that Rick Astley is popular for 
means. Never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you. Um, Beth is a character who embodies never going to give you up, never going to let you down. Because Beth is married to Jerry, to Jerry Smith, a dumb worm who is ignorant to the entire world. And a coward. And a coward. And a professional failure. And just the worst. But Beth, even though she knows intellectually, even though she knows emotionally that she's in a dead-end marriage, that she is not in a place that is supporting her and making her a better person, cannot turn away from the fact that she loves Jerry. As wrong as that is, she loves him. In an alternate universe where they didn't get married and have Morty and Summer, they still find each other. Jerry still drives to her door and she takes him in. In a world where they go to another planet to do couples therapy and the couples therapists say, you have the worst marriage I have seen in galaxies, they still find a way to be together because regardless of everyone who's telling them it's wrong, they love each other. Beth is never going to give Jerry up. Never. And so Beth is the perfect character to sit there and sing back up to Rick Astley. Man, that is such a passionate, amazing, and deeply flawed argument. Your argument is that representing the spirit of the lyrics means that you're qualified to be a musician in the band, which they don't correlate at all. So because Beth doesn't give up on Jerry means that she would be good at singing in a song about not giving up on love holds no water whatsoever. There's not a lot of real musicianship going on in that song. Meanwhile, meanwhile, I have a character who is actually a pop star. So imagine this scenario here. Sarah Lynn starts out as a child actor and then grows into her teenageness and then starts acting uh, and singing and doing albums on her own, becomes a huge sensation, but then gets hooked on drugs. This is a tragic story that ends in the show with her death, but let's imagine she sobers up for real. And walk with me on this, audience. Take this journey. She doesn't overdose. However, she realizes that it is fame. Fame is the drug that she is addicted to. It's not necessarily pills and alcohol and cocaine. However, she has no other way to make her living in the world. So what does she do? She wants to continue to be on stage, but she knows if she's at the front of the stage, she will succumb to the demons that have haunted her. So instead of taking a gig as her own pop star, as her introduction back to the world, back to professional music, she decides, I'll take a backup for Rick Astley and go on a tour and just see if that works and see if she can handle it. Of course, tragically, she can't because even as a backup singer, she ends up doing drugs and ends up self-destructing in this scenario. However, she makes every gig. She sings every note because she is a consummate professional and it comes to the entertainment business. Boom. If you're going to point out the flaws in my argument, I'm going to point out the flaws in yours. You just argued a scenario based on 
this would happen if what happened in the show didn't happen. So well, my character's dead. I had to do that. I didn't have a choice. I mean, you could make an argument about what happened before she died, but you said, let's imagine she didn't die. Challenge so, accepted. So imagine a world in which she, as a young budding star, out of a child star, needs to get a gig as a pseudo almost adult. Her first gig, her first tour, singing backup for Rick Astley before mm, mm. she gets her own deal to be a pop star and then self-destructs. Boom. I went a different right. route because I All thought right. it'd be more challenging. All right. Sure. I'm pulling my BoJack character now. I'm pulling my Rick and Morty character this right now. It's getting vicious. Oh, it always does. Yes. Yes. All right. Who do you got? Diane. I have... Aberdolf Linkler. Oh my God. So the, Diane Nguyen versus Aberdolf Linkler. The half Abraham Lincoln, half Adolf Hitler character from uh, Bojack Hor- or from Rick and Morty. I believe it's my turn to pick a scenario here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, let yeah. us see what scenario we have. <clears throat> it's a long one. Your football team is down by four points with 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Oh, my God. And the star wide receiver just got injured. You've never played a game, and Coach puts you in. The team loses faith. Somehow, you give a motivational speech, which inspires the team, and you catch the winning touchdown. And I believe, who goes first now? You you go first. Oh, man. (laughs) So, this scenario, which I wrote... I'm going to I'm going to just point out some pretty obvious things and I'm going to give a trigger warning. I'm going to say some terrible things in my response. So, if you don't want to hear some bad things, don't listen to my argument. Trigger warning's Skip out. Skip ahead there. 30 seconds. So, uh-oh. Aberdolf Linkler is a genetically created half of the genes of Abraham Lincoln, half of the genes of Adolf Hitler made by um Rick Sanchez. In this scenario, I have a character who's in tremendous physical shape. He's, in fact, so strong that he, like, breaks into a party. I think he even bursts through a wall. So he's incredibly physically gifted due to his genetic makeup. Um, So I have a, a point there in terms of just raw athleticism needed to complete this task. I have undoubtedly a character made of two of the greatest leaders of all time. And I say that, like, I hate calling Adolf Hitler a great leader because he's a mass-murdering, racist fuckhead. You mean great in the way that Ollivander talks about Voldemort, right? Terrible, Big, yes, exactly. but great. Great in the respect that he motivated his entire society to give him supreme command great, like to big. do whatever he wanted. However, what he did with that power is monstrous. But I have a character... That's known for giving. Well, I have a character who's genetically made up of two of the best public speakers of all time. Now, due to the fact that he is a genetic clone of two other leaders, he probably doesn't get a lot of opportunities to play in football games. So he's been sitting on the bench. When the star wide receiver finally gets hurt, coach says, All right, I guess I got to put this Aberdolf Linkler thing in. Everyone's just like, my God, this guy's half Lincoln. He's half Hitler. He's half, you know, uh, racist. He's half, you know, racially inclusive. And suddenly, in comes the rousing speech that Adolf Linkler gives. Guys, 
we can band together and do it. I am the person to catch the football because I am genetically superior. And I also believe that that doesn't matter at all. All we have to do is believe in each other. And the team rallies and he runs a perfect route and he catches that and they win. But he still never gets the approval of his father, Rick Sanchez, who was willing to sacrifice and kill him just to get a little higher. Boom. Your argument that they're great public speakers is true. That Abraham Lincoln and Adolf Hitler were both extremely talented with what they were able to make happen when they spoke to large crowds or when they spoke to entire countries or entire parties. I think this scenario gives us something a little more personal than public. I imagine putting Diane into this situation. The group that she's talking to isn't a political party. It isn't an assembly. It isn't a country. It's a group of guys. It's kids. It's people playing a game. It matters, but it matters on a personal level, not a political or global one. Diane is a writer, and Diane is able to ghostwrite memoirs for important people throughout time. She's able to adapt voices and still put her own voice through and bring people to tears and move people to action. But what Diane is most talented at is getting through to people who have given up. Even though Diane has her issues, Diane is is broken in some ways, is damaged in other ways. Diane loves Bojack. Diane loves Bojack Horseman so much that she will push him to do things that he's uncomfortable doing. Let's look to the season five finale and all of the season five arc of these two characters where Bojack is self-destructing in the way that he always does. And Diane is there to say, I need you to do better. And Diane is there to say, there are no good guys and there are no bad guys. There are just guys There is only this moment where we try to do more good than bad, where we try to score this touchdown. And then in the final moments of the season, Diane drives Bojack to rehab and gives him a speech about a friend that she had when she was young who gave up on her, a friend who ditched her for popular girls and yet she was still there for them. She says, I was there for her because I hated her and she was my best friend. I'm here for you because I hate you, and you're my best friend. And she gets Bojack Horseman, the most self-denying, self-destructive character on that show, to walk into rehab. How hard can it be to get some guys who are already pumped up to score a winning touchdown if she can do something that powerful? I like your argument, and I just have to point out that she has to score the winning touchdown, and I don't think she has the athletic chops. Wow. Okay. That's the scenario, though. She has to score the winning touchdown. Yeah, but I felt like it was more about the the inspiration. Well, the inspirational speech to the winning play. Yes. Let's you move have to on. Do both. Let's move on. I'm going to pick my Bojack, aka the character I'm going to use to win in this scenario, as I won I the last one. I don't know if you're going to. Well, I got Princess Carolyn. I got Rick. Oh, man. 
Rick versus Princess Carolyn. And what is the scenario? This is going to be a showdown of all showdowns. What is it? Keeping a pet goldfish alive for more than a week. Oh, man. <laughs> this may sound simple, but these two characters may not be good at this. I was So I wrote this scenario and I was like, this is going to be difficult for every single character in these hats because we have two casts of characters who are all very self-absorbed, right? Um, we have characters who are not attentive necessarily to what's going on around them. Even the best of them are very much involved in their own stories or oblivious to, uh, to others' pain and suffering. So you, uh, I think you go first here. I'm going to go first. All right. You have Rick. Rick is, um, Rick is interesting in this scenario because to imagine him having a pet goldfish is a, a little bit far fetched, right? You, you kind of can't imagine him having a bowl and feeding a fish. It's just a little crazy asking him to have compassion for another living being. But what I'll say in terms of whether he can keep one alive for more than a week is that Rick is a mad scientist, man. Like, if Rick gets something that he, especially as a challenge, like, you want that goldfish? I bet you can't keep it alive for more than a week. Rick is going to build the most badass, self-sustaining giant garage sized tank for that goldfish to live in for it to grow to be 20 pounds and feed off of other universes waste that's been turned into fish food like rick will never back down from that challenge just to prove that he is the best and the side effect of that is that this fish will have a long and happy life. This fish will live frickin' forever. And maybe this fish will eventually replace Morty as his, like, galactic companion because Rick gets this challenge of you can't keep a goldfish alive for more than a week. And he's like, guess what? Goldfish are very adaptable. I can breed a goldfish that can travel through space by splicing and crispering some water bear tech into that goldfish. So anybody who thinks that Rick can't care for a goldfish for more than a week is crazy because they are just giving him the ammo he needs to do just that. I totally agree with that argument. He'd create a pocket dimension in yeah. which there is a perfect conditions for a goldfish with the self-sustaining. The only one counter argument I'd say, cause I think that was a great argument is that he might get wasted and accidentally just collapse right. the pocket universe yeah. on day four. Yeah. Be like, see, you couldn't keep it for a week. And he'd be like, well, that challenge was dumb anyway. Right. I'd be my only potential rebuttal is that his nihilistic tendencies may overcome the desire to actually keep the challenge going. Other than that, I think you kept a really good argument. Um, I'm going to argue for PC, one of, if not of the, the best, best characters, characters yeah. in Bojack. Um, so what is the defining characteristic of Princess Carolyn as a character? And the answer is a maternal instinct. Mm. She is someone who gets the most joy out of managing others in professional scenarios, but really it's about care. It's about caring for them. There's a reason she loves Bojack and protects him. It's because he is needy. She's someone that wants a child. Sadly, She's not capable biologically, at least up to this point in the show. So she's gone on the, the, uh, the, the path of trying to adopt because she's a character 
who wants her cake and can eat it too. And she's capable of all the characters in BoJack. She is the most functional and capable. All the other characters are are just walking on the precipice of total self-destruction. And as much as life is hard for Princess Carolyn, because it fucking is. The glass ceiling is real. She fucking manages it better than any of the characters that we have done in both series. So when it comes to caring for a goldfish, I could see PC going, all right, I want to adopt a child, but you know what I'm going to do first? I'm going to get a goldfish. I'm going to make sure I can keep this goldfish alive for a week. And if I can, then maybe I'll get another pet and work her way up and her way to organize, plan, and control her life, to manage her life, she would start with a pet goldfish, realizing that, okay, feeding it twice a day, cleaning the water once a week, that's not that hard. Now let me take the next challenge. I think she would see this as the logical step towards building up to having her own child, and I think she would be exceptional at it, despite the fact that Bojack and Todd are constantly doing shenanigans. Todd might accidentally... Mr. Peanut Butter, yeah. Todd might accidentally burn down the apartment that he sleeps in with her, but you know what? He'd be like, I can't let that goldfish die, and it would just be Todd and the goldfish sitting at the end of the burned-down apartment. So I think both characters can do this task. Yeah, I think... Yeah, this is going to be interesting to see what Twitter says, but yeah, I I really appreciated this like very tender um, and and simple scenario for these two very capable characters. Yeah. I mean the, and obviously princess Carolyn's potential downside is that she gets so wrapped up in a work project that she forgets to feed the fish. Yeah. But this is also the challenge that we're anticipating for her in season six, right? Right. Princess Carolyn finally gets to be a mother in season six. We imagine we get to actually see that journey and how she uh, finds a way to continue to thrive in her amazing self-built career and as a mom. And I'm excited to see that because it, it feels like it's going to be a really new thing for, for this show. Absolutely. I want to see us, Princess Carolyn have it all. We are getting close to the end here. So my character is Bird Person. My character, and I wrote this down, but I literally spelled it wrong. I wrote Mr. Peanut Butt. <laughs> <laughs> we have Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> but it's Mr. Peanut Butter. <laughs> and let's pick the scenario Bird out of the scenario. Bird Person and Mr. Peanut Butter, okay. Now, this is a good, these are also yeah. two not main characters. All right, so. It's a long one. Changing careers in midlife, becoming an English teacher in an undeserved high school, teaching the kids about Shakespeare, Hemingway, Charlotte Bronte. 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 I don't know who that is and more, but maybe just maybe teaching them a little something about themselves along the way. Whoa. Yeah. So dangerous minding, in other words. Yeah. Or, um, you know, Freedom Writers or Dead Poets Society. Any of those. Uh, Whose turn is it to go first? I think you go first. Oh, I go first. Bird Person is a galactic terrorist. He's worked with Rick Sanchez to try to bring down the galactic empire and Bird Person is also part of a culture that deeply feels and thinks. It is Bird Person who reminds or tells Morty what Wubba Dubba Lub Dub means. I think I said that wrong. But Wubba Lubba Dub Dub. Thank you. Um, Bird Person is able to connect and feel deeply. And when Bird Person fails to bring down the Galactic Republic, he's going to have a moment where he's going to reflect and be like, I need to teach other bird people how to think. 
how they th- how to feel. He needs to be the Professor Keating from the Dead Poet Society. He needs to permeate the institutionalization of education and connect to individuals on a real level. And what is the mechanism by which he will do this? Language. Since we know he's multilingual, he is absolutely the best person posed to teach a group of underprivileged children how to unlock the joy of language and to do it in a way that will connect them to deeper truths about the galactic universe, the multiverse, but most importantly, themselves. I think that's beautiful. Uh, I think that language thing that you've you've latched onto is really powerful. Um, the one thing I question about Bird Person is his is his inherent stoicism. That every time we encounter Bird Person, he's not the kind of per- he's not the kind of Bird Person to open up emotionally, at least in a way that we feel like super connected to or super I challenge authentic. that because he's one of the few characters that he, fought, finds true love. Granted, yeah. he's being manipulated, but I think he can open himself up emotionally because he finds love. But I think a lot of it is how uh, how it's imprinted on the uh, the viewer, how it's imprinted on the, the audience in the moment, not us as the watchers of the show, but the people in that classroom. And that's why I want to posit Mr. Peanut Butter as a great candidate for this, because not only is Mr. Peanut Butter someone who is midlife and a little bit uncertain of what his future holds in a little bit of a crisis and unsure kind of who he really is at his core. So definitely someone that we could imagine changing careers a little bit along the way. Uh, you know, maybe he wasn't born to be an actor. Maybe he was born to connect to people in a different way. But he is a performer. He is a golden retriever. He is literally genetically made up and career-wise made up to constantly empathize, to be a character who is truly loving and loyal and caring to those around him. And even when he fails a little bit, even when he gets caught up in his own stuff, he is a lover. Mr. Peanut Butter is a lover. And he's seen a lot of movies. So I can absolutely see a world where Mr. Peanut Butter is like, maybe Filbert isn't doing it for me. Maybe I shouldn't keep trying to relive my glory days and try to give back to the community, go to one of these underserved high schools in inner city LA and try to be John Keating from Dead Poets Society, try to be a character from one of these TV shows or movies that inspires kids to do something better and inspires young pups and kittens and baby lizards and others to do something different. And I think Mr. Peanut Butter's warmth and love of life and happiness and, and joy will inspire these kids to look outside of, of what they have been handed and say, I can do something new. I can do something totally different. And Mr. Peanut Butter is, is why I want to do that. See, I see Mr. Peanut Butter more as I would have built the center for kids who can't read good and who want to read good. What's wrong with that? That's exactly what the that's exactly what that challenge but calls for. But still, be an actor. I don't know to inspire. Yeah. Let me grab my he Bojack to give back. character, which we are down to almost the end. So these are the last two characters. I have Bojack. I have Mr. Poopy Butthole. 
Oh, wow. All right. So pick the scenario. We're down also, to our Mr. last PB. Two. Yeah. Mr. Peanut butter, Mr. Poopy butthole. I Mr. see a PB. theme. The universe is telling you something. The scenario is looking yourself in the mirror, admitting your faults and making a game plan to overcome said faults, then executing the plan and becoming a full and complete person living the best version of yourself. I'm really excited for you to read the last scenario that's in there. This is amazing that this has all happened independently. Um, wow, what a heavy scenario. Okay, so... So I guess I'm going first, right? Uh, yeah, you are going first. So how do we meet Mr. Poopy Butthole? We meet Mr. Poopy Butthole in the episode Total Recall, which is the episode where alien parasites have kind of invaded the Smith house and rewritten their memories to think that they've been there the whole time. The cast of characters grows exponentially every time we turn around or blink our eyes. And there's a bunch of crazy characters like Aberdolf Linkler and Reverse Giraffe and Sleepy Gary. And then there's Mr. Poopy Butthole, who is a little yellow dude who the Smiths consider member of their family, someone that they truly love who's been there this entire time. And it's very like clear that the show is leading us to think he's an alien parasite, right? As he's eating dinner with them in the last frames of that episode, we're like, wait a second. We would have remembered a character named Mr. Poopy Butthole. That seems unlikely. And then Beth gets an idea in her head and thinks that's an alien parasite and shoots him. Mr. Poopy Butthole starts bleeding out on the floor. And the crowd gathers around him. The Smiths gather around him and watch him cradling his gunshot wound and scream, Mr. Poopy Butthole, no. Poor Mr. Poopy Butthole. This character is deeply loved and yet deeply doubted. I know I speak for a lot of people when I say that our conceptions of ourselves are made up of how we think others see us. And if we're lying there on the floor and we've been shot by someone that we love in Beth, we're going to look inward and say, what did I do wrong? And there's a huge journey that has to come to accept oneself after this. And this emotional journey for Mr. Poopy Butthole is going to parallel and mirror his physical journey as he goes through physical therapy to learn to walk again, to learn to, uh, to make love to his wife, Mrs. Poopy Butthole, again, as he learns to value himself, a huge part of that comes with looking in the mirror and saying, yeah, I've been shot. Yeah, I have to walk with a cane now, but I accept what I see, and I will overcome the doubt that I have in myself after what the Smiths have done to forge that doubt in me. And I think Mr. Poopy Butthole's journey, I wish we could see more of it, you know, because there is so much that ha- so much work that has to be done for him to rebuild his confidence, rebuild his ability to trust again, to overcome what's been planted in his mind and in his belly. But Mr. Poopy Butthole will come out on top. Mr. Poopy Butthole will come out on top. Wow. I loved your argument. That was so great. <laughs> and you were so impassioned telling it. Yeah, man. Oh, man. That shot him. That was fucking awesome. Well done. He's going to look himself in his mirror and I have to become a better version of myself, overcome this gunshot wound and overcome the fact that the people that I loved just portrayed me. Wow. So heavy. Well done. Top marks. Top marks. 
So Bojack is a character that's really good at part of this scenario. He's really good at looking himself in the mirror, telling himself, God, I'm an asshole and I'm terrible to people and I need to change. Really good at coming up with a plan. This is my plan. This is how I'm going to change. And really, really bad at executing that change. Uh, Point of textual evidence. We start season five with him with a bottle of vodka in which he has rationed out how much he's allowed to drink every day. Yeah. Enter in episodes later, we see him with Hollyhock and he's just put days of the week on the bottles of vodka and is drinking now a bottle of vodka a day. Yeah. You know, this is a guy that had a plan to drink less and couldn't execute it and is ends up probably drinking more than before that plan started. Yeah. Um, which is fucking tragic and terrible and Bojack. The whole point of Bojack Horseman, the show, it asks a, a question. Can Bojack change? Right. And we are all watching it, in at least for me, not to glorify the rich, famous asshole like who womanizes and self-destructs. Like I don't find any glory in that. I hope that the good person that I can empathize with that's in there in Bojack actually comes to fruition. And the hope is Bojack can eventually become a full and complete person. And anyone who has ever been close to rock bottom knows that you can't just look yourself in the mirror and peel yourself out. That's not actually viable for someone as psychologically broken as Bojack. However, the start is recognizing you do need that help. And that's where we end season five of Bojack. I need help and I'm going to try rehab. It may not work. There's no guarantee, but I'm going to try. And that's why we love the show. Yeah. Will he overcome it? I don't know. Will Mr. Poopy butthole? Probably. So he likely (laughs) got a, you know, I'm not fully conceding this argument, which I thought you did such a great job at like, I was trying not to laugh because it was such a deep, serious argument for yeah. such a silly, weird character. The character whose name is Mr. Puppy Buttle. You know, so top of the hat to you, Laurel. Um, but I think Bojack, he is going to start to execute that game plan. Let's see. I hope so. So, so uh, I know exactly who's left. I lost count. So I have Jerry. Yay. And I have Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. Oh, man. <laughs> if you're not familiar, he's a little bit of a side character, but he's one of my favorites. He's the cop character who's a snowshoe Siamese cat um, on BoJack Horseman. Great character. Yep. This is kind of eerie that these are the last two scenarios drawn. Okay. Being able to say with complete confidence and authenticity, I am a good person. <laughs> So, yeah, as you know, Derek and I came up with and and brainstormed these scenarios separately and wrote them and put them blindly into a hat. And so it's kind of wild that both of our scenarios were pulled last and are very similar and challenge the characters of these shows to do something, uh, something that's the same. Um, So I'm interested to hear it with a new set of characters in Jerry and Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. So I go first here. Yeah. All right, so Jerry is pretty craven. Jerry is pretty career broken. Jerry is more comfortable typically in simulations of reality than real reality. His family doesn't respect him. 
Uh, his wife doesn't respect him. He has no coworkers. He has no direction. So what does Jerry actually even have? God, he's pathetic, right? Well, there's one thing that Jerry has, and that it, he is actually a good person. He wakes up every day wanting to do good to others. Does he often fail? Yes, yes, he does. Rick calls him a leech, you know, and that has some some value because Beth is better looking, more capable, and, you know, Jerry kind of just leached on to that. However, at the end of the day, when the Citadel of, Citadel's part of me of Rick's, they come and they infiltrate Jerry's house looking for our Rick, the Rick of Rick and Morty. There's a Rick there that's not respected because he's just a little slower than the other Ricks. Still, mind you, a brilliant and smart Rick, but just not as brilliant and smart. And the other Ricks brutally tease him. What does Jerry do? Jerry makes friends with this person. Jerry and this Rick become really good friends, right? Jerry is at his core, someone that wants to do right. He never really knows how to do it. Often when he tries to do it, he does worse. He's completely insecure. But the one thing that he can do sincerely, authentically, is say, you know what? I am a good person. I've never hurt anyone. I've only ever tried to do my best. And yeah, the universe is bigger and more complex than I will ever know. He lives with a man whose entire motivation in the family dynamic is to usurp and destroy him. And yet he breaks bread with that man every day. That man is Rick. Put yourself in Jerry's shoes and look at Rick and Morty through Jerry's eyes. He might be the only actually moral character in that whole freaking show. And he deals with more than anyone, even in his ignorance and his stupidity and his cowardness. Imagine really just being the average, maybe slightly below average man surrounded by geniuses every day who tell you you're an idiot. And Jerry endures that and endures that abuse and humiliation and it makes him insecure and it makes him weak, but he tries his best because he can look himself in the eye and say, I am a good person. I love that argument, honestly. And and when you think about Jerry, it's like he's the character on the show who... I mean, this is a sci-fi show where people can jump through portals into different dimensions or they can get in a spaceship and travel to a different planet anytime they want. But Jerry's the character who lives on Earth. Jerry's stakes are always the stakes that we deal with as the viewer. And every other character's stakes are cosmic. But Jerry is working to be the person that he set out to be in an earthly setting. And there's something virtuous about that. So I think that's a great argument. I'm going to jump into a bit more of a side character on this. And while we don't get too much of Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face, I think he's a wonderful character who I just absolutely love. Maybe best name of all characters. <laughs> Cuddly Whiskers it, is pretty good too. Yeah. Um, Mr. Poopy Butthole's a great name. Mr. Poopy Butthole. Um, 
I love Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face because he's a cop. You know, he's a guy in uniform, which is a, a tough place. A tough place to be is a tough job, and there's not enough good cops out there. I think it's it's a it's a profession where people go bad a lot. People make mistakes, and people do really shitty things to people who are not in that uniform. And Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face has made mistakes. He's not perfect. He doesn't always truly understand what's going on around him. But he trusts. Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face has confidence in other human beings in a lot of places where um, other characters in his situation might not. There's something about, in this season five, one of my favorite moments of, of Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face is when Bojack is trying to get some opioids to feed his addiction. And he is stopped inadvertently by our officer coming in undercover, pretending not to be a cop, saying, I'm not a cop, even though he's clearly wearing a wire. And being this force to stop Bojack from self-destructing in that moment, being this force that's ready to trust everyone around him and, and offer an obstruction to the character that we are most identified with. He's a, he's a character who you, you almost have to imagine knows more than he lets on and is there to be a sort of cosmic force to set Bojack on the right path. And so I wonder if in that confidence, in that blindness, in that sort of angelic space that he lives in. I'm riffing really hard here because there's not enough really to go on. And I was expecting to pull a very different character for this, yeah. but like His officer meow meow fuzzy face significance is, is great. I love it. Fucking angel. Like, and, and he could look at himself and say with complete confidence and authenticity, I am a good cat. Well, well, well. <laughs> so I want to throw that, that completes the boomerangarang. I'm going to throw a boomerang in the boomerangarang. Do it. And I'm going to ask you, what's the better show, BoJack or Rick and Morty? So go. Great. I love this question. You already know what my answer is, but just for our listeners, obviously I love both of these shows and I think they are the two best animated shows on TV right now and also two of the best shows on TV right now. Um, both are extremely and supremely smart and both deal with similar themes with different uh, perspectives. But for me, my favorite of the two is BoJack Horseman. And my reason for that is, number one, I think the characters are so deeply, deeply felt and drawn um, with, with such authenticity and genuineness and sincerity. Uh, that's three ways of saying the same word. Um, and, and truth and another time, layers and just the characters are so, so good. Like you can identify with every single one of them in a specific way that I think no other character on TV does, but also because I think it's the show that takes the most risks with the technique with which it tells its stories on television. So it's been doing this since day one, but especially looking at season five with the one episode where Bojack is literally just doing a eulogy for his mom and we are just focused on his journey through a monologue for the entire story or later on when they juxtapose the um, episode of Filbert with the episode of Bojack that we're watching. I, I don't think there's any other show on television that is taking those risks and animation gives you that freedom um, 
but it's it's just doing something very unconventional and very uh, intelligent and beautiful with its storytelling that I think is worth commendation. I love it. I can't at all disagree with yeah. a single point. But tell me what, what you think. I would say Rick and Morty, um, and not to disagree um, with you, but I do. And the reason I would say that Rick and Morty is a better show from my perspective, and this is purely a matter of opinion, not objective reality, unlike objectively winning the boomerangarang that I just did. Um, <laughs> because what I think Rick and Morty offers is uh, both a deconstruction and a construction, and sci-fi gets you the ability to do that, and that it can construct worlds, it can construct universes, it can construct scenarios that challenges the characters with infinite possibilities that also reflect and deconstruct our current contemporary life. Whereas I feel like Bojack in its critique of society writ large is pure deconstructionist. I think there's an element of constructionism to Rick and Morty that I really enjoy in its deconstruction. Um, And also, I mean, that's a really smart sounding argument that may not mean much. At the end of the day, I like the sci-fi fantasy angle more. And yeah. that's the only reason I and like them better. Usually I would I would be in that same camp because sci-fi fantasy really gets me going. But there's just something about the the technique of of Bojack Horseman that I that gives me the edge. But we're talking about favorites, not best. Like exactly. we all know that these shows are both fantastic and that they reach similar fan bases. Um, or they may have a, a really complex Venn diagram because they are dealing with some of the things that we're dealing with today more frankly and more truthfully than almost any other show on television. Final point to meditate on before we sign off here. Why is it that two of the greatest animated shows, which are also two of the greatest shows, both deal with the complete and total alienation of the individual? What does that say? Maybe we'll talk about that in another podcast. And until next time. Suck a dick, dumb shits. Be kind. Well, beloved, up now.